This is a Podcast 225 production. Welcome to the Clay Young Show. Can you believe it's August already? Goodness. Glad to have you back here on the Clay Young Show on podcast225.com. As we tell you every week, we appreciate you guys listening and giving feedback. Please share our show with friends. Tell them about us. Tell them to hit the subscribe button on iTunes and download the show there. Share the links on Facebook and Twitter. Tell people about this new place to find audio on demand for South Louisiana, Louisiana in general, and very often with some of the things happening nationally here at podcast225.com. Got some news coming in a couple of weeks about one addition to the Podcast 225 family, and I'm pretty excited about it. All right, today we are going to have a discussion about what's happening in Baton Rouge from the perspective of black men. Three buddies of mine sat with me to talk about what's been going on in this city over the past three weeks, and I think you will find a lot of what they say intriguing. Now, I got to warn you, during the, the course of this interview, for some reason, I was having audio mic problems off and on, and I don't know what was going on there, just a, a mic channel that it's never really done that before, it was just popping in and out, and I, you know, I left it in because it's I don't know what was going on, but the discussion was great and we we got through it and it's just one of those things with technology, I guess. I've never had that issue before and it would happen right in the middle of a recording, right? So there you have it. You'll hear that and it, it, it only pops up every now and again in the interview, but you'll hear it and no, I did not set the audio board on fire. Wouldn't do that. <laughs> Later this week, we're going to sit with David Tapman. Actually, we've already spoken with him. We're going to let you hear that interview that talks about the importance of the EBR school system to Baton Rouge's future. With school about to get started next week, I think it's a good time to let you hear about some of the achievements they've made, some of the achievements they hope to make, and where they hope this system will go over the next several years. So that's later this week with David Tatman. Up next, a discussion about what's happening in Baton Rouge. It's candid. Uh, we take our time with it. The discussion goes about an hour, but I think it can be eye-opening to people who pay attention to it. And you'll hear from a couple of, uh, actually three friends of mine, Brandon Smith, Stephen Atkins, and DiCarlo Lyles, talking about what we ought to be doing in this town. It's just one of three conversations I want to have. This first one with just black males of uh, the next conversation with white community slash business leaders having a very similar discussion and then bringing both sides together to talk about how we can bridge that gap in this city and maybe something that can be done in other cities as well just to have the dialogue okay and so that's what we're going to do in part one of that is next here on the clay young show promote your business or organization on podcast 225.com podcast 225.com is quickly becoming a weekly tradition for louisiana listeners every month thousands hear the weekly clay young show every week clay sits with some of the state's most fascinating and entertaining people 
posting your company's logo on the podcast225.com website or having a professionally produced commercial air on The Clay Young Show is a great way to access a loyal and informed audience. Get more information by calling 225-214-1550. That's 225-214-1550. Welcome back to The Clay Young Show. All right, welcome back. As promised, I guess we could call this the roundtable. And uh, friends of mine, we sit down regularly and talk about what's going on in the world, normally accompanied by a cigar and other accoutrements. (laughs) Uh, Brandon, Stephen, DiCarlo. Uh, As we sit to record this week's show, or this show, Uh, There's a lot going on in the city, guys. So uh, first up, how are you all this morning? Second up, uh, what do you think about everything going on around here now? I'm well, man. How are you? Turn that mic there. Steve was giving us his uh, quiet storm rendition a little (laughs) while ago. So, Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I'm doing well. (laughs) What about it? Well, I think uh, everything is starting to uh, level out uh, in the city. Uh, First off, I'm doing well. Mm I think uh, with everything that's been going on in the nation, uh, it puts what's going on in uh, Baton Rouge in perspective. How so? Uh, I think Baton Rouge showed a lot of uh, foresight and leadership as it uh, pertains to uh, dealing with the uh, atrocities that are going on. they handled it. They handled it uh, pretty well, as far as um, the shootings uh, with the police officers and uh, also with uh, Alton Sterling. I think that uh, we've started to uh, unify in a sense uh, with not only uh, the community, but now we're starting to reach out. Uh, to the police officers. And it's uh, becoming more of a one family. And I think that uh, we're we're showing the rest of the nation exactly how this should be handled. I think for myself, um, there's a lot of (coughs) astonishment. Um, Just speaking with friends of mine who are out of town and we could just have conversation about things that go on across America, many times, I tell them, well, those things never happen here because yeah. the people here are different. Uh, I could just never, ever fathom anything like that happening. But when it actually happened here, I was just, I had to eat a lot of those words. I mean, I think when you and I talked before about just things that are going on, and I, I think about like when I was a child, I was that kid who grew up watching Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Yeah. That was the world that I lived in. Um, everything was just simple. Everybody got along. Everybody loved each other. And not to be naive or anything, but I mean, I know that there's evil in the world, but that's not the world that I choose to live in. That's not the world that I want my kids to grow up in. Explain that when you say um, it, it's not the world you choose to live in. Well, I mean, again, you know that there, there, there are things that go on in the world that, as far as like with the evil that you see across Seas or uh, some of the areas where you see a lot of the uh, inner city violence. Yeah. Um, it's 
The thing is, is like as a child, you, you see things or you may have lived in a situation. You said, hey, I want better for myself, for my family. I want them to be able to go to better schools. I want them to be able to um, be in an environment where it's nurturing, where they're around like-minded individuals. Not to say that, you know, we shouldn't care for the people in the inner city, but I just think that for myself, I know what I wanted for my family. I know the vision that I wanted for my family. So it was like, okay, well, I can go through a lot of tough times as far as like with business or whatever, but it's just that I know my goal, the end game, was to achieve and be able to put my family in a great situation. What do you say, Brandon? I'm thinking that things are starting to normalize. Things are trying to get back to, you know, to normal, uh, to, to gain a sense of normalcy in the city. And to piggyback on what DiCarlo said earlier, I do see that people in the city are kind of coming together. You know, you've got all these funds that are popping up for the, you know, the fallen officers and, and their kids in college. Right. And, you know, that's one good thing that, that came of this the horrible event, but, you know, the kids are going to be taken care of. The family is going to be taken care of. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's just unfortunate the circumstances uh, that led to that. And, uh, you know, I've been in Baton Rouge for 12 years, so I kind of consider myself a resident. Right. Right. Uh, I don't know and for happening. this to... I don't know what's happening with this mic channel. That's all foggy. I'm actually leaving all of this into the podcast. It, it's it's raw, but uh, just my mics. If you guys are wondering what that sound is, I'm trying to figure what's happening with the mic channel. But go ahead. Yeah, and you know when something like this happens right in your in your city, yeah, right in your backyard, almost. It's like wow. It, it always hits close to home because it's so close. You see stuff on the news and. Like Steve said, oh, that'll never, that'll never happen here. That's not something that people here would do. And, you know, something like that happens. It, it just kind of makes you sit back and it, it just, it almost takes your breath away. It's like, wow, what this, about this really happened here? And it's, it's yeah. like, you know, the thing I'm most proud about this city uh, for is, is that after this stuff had gone on, you know, people are starting to try to come together. People are are putting differences aside and people are trying to, uh, you know, to kind of get back to, to normal. People are trying to to get things back on the right track and, and that's a step in the right direction. What about the other side of this where people talk about you know, what's happening in the inner city? Uh, the thing with Alton that it's a problem. I was in a room with some people yesterday who expressed how things are bad. They're not getting any any better. The relationship between law enforcement and the inner city is, is is it's bad here. I mean, there's a perspective about that that I don't have because I don't live in the inner city. But I try as much as I can to help out, listen to people, to be available. I'm not an expert, but I care about people, especially the children. So when I hear young people say that, you want to hear them out. What about that perspective that they're not being heard, that they feel like the system doesn't work for them? I mean, what about that? Well, the conversation has to be had. That's something that has to be discussed. That's something that you have to to actually sit down and, and talk about. Right. You know, coming up with all these great ideas and, you know, well, they don't understand what it's like to be where we're from. And 
you know, on, by the same token, they don't necessarily understand what it's like to be where you're from, but, you know, the conversation needs to be had. So until those conversations can be had, until the things can be hashed out, until, you know, all the discrepancies that people in the inner city are facing or seemingly facing are discussed, nothing will change. What about that, guys? I'm going to say that there is a mindset change that needs to happen. <clears throat> I know that it's very frustrating uh, to have to go through the things that this city has gone through. And it's almost as if there's a, a feel of it's never going to change, so why should I, uh, why should I change my mind about the outcome, but it's so essential for everybody to have a selfless mindset about life. And I think that's part of the problem. Explain that. Um, it's really hard for uh, inner city kids to relate to what they see on TV. Um, certain what, what perspective? What what specifically are you talking about in terms of television? Uh, just in general, the the shows that they watch, the uh, just how how other people get along in society. It does it. it there's a total disconnect with what they see and what they're living, and it's almost impossible for somebody to change their mindset without wanting to. And I think that's, that's part of the problem that we're having with those people who feel like it's inevitable and there's nothing that's going to change by anything that they do or say. And it's, I guess it's, it's, it just has to be a, a mindset change. And that that probably will not happen overnight. Yeah, I, I think it's like um, it's a matter of culture to me. Um, it's almost like when you have a child, it's the nurturing environment. I'm just going off my childcare background. Uh, there are two things that always shapes a child. It's it's genetics, um, and also it's the environment. And those are the two main things. You can't control the genetics, but you can control the environment for the most part. So myself, okay, I'm just looking at myself. I, I grew up in a single, well, <laughs> single family home with my mother. But the thing is, my mother controlled the environment, who I hung out with, um, things that I listened to on the radio, uh, TV. I mean, that's just who she was. I mean, she ruled with her iron fist. I mean... <laughs> I, I joke all the time. I, I was like, you know, my mom's like Hitler to me. I mean, because that's what she was. I mean, for myself, I was never afraid of police officers. That, that I mean, I just always knew I was never going to be in trouble because my biggest fear as a child was my grandmother and my mother. What, what was going to happen? Yeah. 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 So be a bumpy ride home. Yeah. I'm, I'm like, look, <laughs> I was that kid. Like, look, I'd rather my, the police pick me up rather than those two come and get me. <laughs> And it's like, if you think about it and just put it all into context, I guess, um, 
there's no fear anymore, I guess, with a lot of our younger, our youth today. There's no fear of their parents. I see it every day. I'm in, like I said, I'm in childcare. I see this every day, whereas kids do not listen or comply with anything, and the parents are always at their wits' end. And and to me, it's like when you're going to another adult to talk to your kid that's maybe less than 10 and you want me to correct your kid at 10 what were you doing when the kid was three you know and it's like if you can't correct him at 10 you're never going to get anything done it's hard uh, then yeah with your child so i mean i think we have to be proactive really really proactive in terms of uh what we allow our kids to listen to uh, who they hang around. I mean, I, I just, my mother just would not allow me to just jump in a car with a group of guys and say, hey, we're going to the store. That just wasn't happening. But now you just ride up and down the street and you see groups of kids. Rolling or just together. walking the streets. Yeah. I, I can remember one morning when I was still at J-Bo driving in there. It had to be, I don't know, around sometime around five o'clock. And I'm going up Jefferson to head that way because the station is on corporate. And I see two boys on bicycles. <laughs> Lingan, where are you what, going? What are you doing at oh, five you, o'clock in the morning right, on yeah. bicycles? Where are you going? Where are you coming from at mm-hmm. five o'clock? And you're thinking somebody at a house somewhere is an adult, yeah, and doesn't care that these kids are not in the house, or they 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 they. I don't believe that they were sneaking out of the house because you're not trying to hide when you're doing swerves across corporate boulevard mm-hmm. at five o'clock in the morning. So right. you know. Cop pulls them over. It didn't happen, but what happens if a cop pulls them over and say, hey, boys, you know, where are you guys, where are you going? Where are you coming from? What are you up to? And there's just a whole lot of problems that go along with that. Yeah. I don't know, man. I've sat in a few meetings after all this stuff, and it just doesn't seem like the two sides are anywhere close together. Hmm. And it's discouraging because I think there's parts of this town where discussions are going on about what's happening on the other side of town. Mm-hmm. And regardless of which side you pick, there are discussions in Southeast Baton Rouge about what's happening in North Baton Rouge. There's discussions in North Baton Rouge about what's happening in other parts of Baton Rouge, what's not happening. And I, I think the two sides have to talk to one another. Absolutely. That's kind of what I was mentioning earlier. Like, the, Pull that mic a little closer to you. You know, things won't get better until these things are discussed, until you hash them out. And you have to have active participation from all sides. Yeah. Simultaneously. Not, you know, let's let's call up. No, let's sit down and talk about this. In a let's, room together. Exactly. And so until that happens, that divide will always be there. You, you can't, you know, make assumptions or assertions about what's going to happen in a meeting across town if you're right. not there. You have no idea. You're That's not there. Right. That's right. So, I don't know, it kind of goes back to what DeCarlo was saying. You, you almost have to, to change people's mindsets about, about reality. Because you think about it, people's reality is what they perceive. So their perception is their reality. And so if, you know, I don't know exactly what point you were trying to make, but when I think about kids watching TV or, or just all these different avenues for you know, uh, social media outlets, whatever it may be, I think kids are trying to to reenact what they see. So I think they have to be more or in escape touch. what they see. Mm-hmm. Right? No, no, no. I'm talking about on you know, you see the the guys on TV with the big house, you know, big the cars, big house, the bling big car. Yeah. You know, so yeah. 
you know, they're trying to do that. And this is a place, this is a country of, I want it now. Like, tomorrow. Let's, right. let's, let's have it. No. Just had that conversation with somebody right yesterday. Just so, had that conversation. By any means necessary, yeah. I'm going to get what, what that guy has. Yeah. But I don't want to wait. I want it right now. Yeah. So, I mean, they're going to do things that, you know, affords them that that thing or that opportunity. So they're going to, you know, not necessarily make a, a bad decision, but it won't be the most thought out decision. Mm -hmm. And so that a lot of times gets people in a situation they don't need to be in. I agree with you. And, you know, I, it's interesting. I've been in some of the discussions that have happened over the last few weeks, and I've had this comment from both sides. Depending on the room and the location, I've heard pe people say there are not enough black people in this room. And then in other places and other discussions, people are saying there's not enough white people in this room. It's only black people, majority black people in this room. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting when you see that from both sides and people are being sincere. They're not throwing stones at one another. I think right. people are starting to understand we have to talk to one another. Here's the thing, man. That decision is going to come down from the Justice Department. Mm -hmm. And regardless of which way it breaks, there's gonna be a reaction. Now, I think we can all agree, if we're honest, if there is no indictment or no charge, it's gonna be probably worse that way than the other. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And the discussions have to be had now. The dialogue has to go on now. So here's a question for y'all. You guys have lives, y'all, you know, smart guys, y'all see what's going on. I hear the word dialogue used used you used it brandon people talk about it, and i believe in it you, you have to have, but what does that mean to you what when you say we need to have dialogue what would we be trying to accomplish with it to me you'd have to to first of all list your all your grievances all your discrepancies okay? right those right. things have to be acknowledged okay just because something is not spoken doesn't mean it's not there right so your grievances have to be aired you know on all sides i mean and people have to do more as it relates to to seeing how other people are thinking you have to get you know in someone else's mind almost mm -hmm. you have to sit in their seat you have to wear their shoes you mm -hmm. have to kind of understand what what someone else is going through in order for you to even be open to the idea Right. That they're presenting. So, I mean, I think when when you mentioned dialogue or when I mentioned dialogue, I'm talking about open conversation, candid conversation, truthful conversation, uh, talking about the stuff that's real. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not talking about this pipe dream. We're not talking about, you know, well, this is what. No, let's talk about the reality of it, first of all, and then build on it based on that because there's responsibility on both sides oh, absolutely. to fix what's broken not just blame people say blame it let's not use the word blame let's talk about responsibility that's a better word well i'm thinking like how do you have that dialogue i mean i, I agree with dialogue but how do you have that dialogue in this day and time when we have such a pc culture to the point where as if someone just says what's on their heart and the other person takes it a different way as if you're being racist or you're being a homophobe or, or whatever that's going on in the community. Sure. Uh, like, okay, well, we've been neglected in North Baton Rouge. I mean, these, all of these feelings that are bottled up, they're, they're going into that meeting. And it's like, to me, it's like anger already coming to the table. And it's like, I'm going to keep this anger because I want X, Y, and Z done. And it's like, okay, well, if this, if X, Y, and Z was done, 
still, it's like, to me, that there's some people in town that still have that mindset that, hey, I'm going to always be this person with a grievance. No matter what it is, I don't care if, I mean, this here can be done, but I'm going to always have a grievance. So I don't think that many times when people have that mindset that you can ever fulfill anything that they want. I agree with you. And uh, <clears throat> definitely it would have to be a situation where everybody came to the table with open minds and open hearts. There would be no resolve unless those two things happen. And so it would pretty much be pointless to me for everybody to sit down at a table and point fingers and say what they don't like and what needs to change. And nobody's listening to each other. They're just right. sitting there just basically picking each other apart. So I'll tell you about three that I've done. The first one was at the state police headquarters and it was law enforcement, the sheriff, the chief, the state superintendent of uh, police, Mike Edmonton, elected officials, and then just people from the city that they invited. I didn't say a word. I stood at the back of the room because I wanted to listen. There had been a few of these meetings, but I just kind of wanted to hear they're talking past each other, right. talking past each other. Right. That's usually how it the, the police chief was trying to address. Now, this is this was before the shooting of these officers. And in the room, the, the big bone of contention, this was on a Thursday, was the fact that the police department was out in riot gear. That was a big thing. And, and the, the buzz phrase was demilitarize the police department. And so the chief was coy about why they were doing that. And I didn't ask again. I stayed. You know, Hiller was there too, the DA. And Sid spoke toward the end. And he talked about how we have to have dialogue. We need to love one another. He said, I've spent the better part of the last 20 years trying to do something about young black men being killed by young black men. And somebody in the room said, don't change the subject, sir. That's a whole different conversation. You see, again, that, that goes back to what I'm, what I'm talking about, that, that person with the grievance. But you know? So I walked out of there thinking, <clears throat> well, this was, there's nothing accomplished in this. Right. This was just an hour of my life I gave away. All right. Garrett Graves, and, and by the way, that Friday, we learned about the officers having the threat because of the kids who broke into the pawn shop and stole all the weapons and that they had the intention mm -hmm. of shooting officers, and these were kids. One of them was as young as 12, but they caught one of them, and he gave up the entire thing, All right? So this happens on Thursday. Saturday, there were protests again. Sunday, those officers were shot, mm. All right? Last week... Garrett Graves and Cedric Richmond had a gathering. This time it was just people from the community, religious folks, business people, and Garrett and Cedric, and I led the discussion, I led, I just kind of facilitated talking past each other. Again. And so one lady in the room who was white apologized to the black people in the room. Oh boy. <laughs> and I'm sure her intention was sincere because she's hearing these things for the first time. And I try to take a step back and take a 
a high altitude perspective of what you're hearing in the room, you know, management style, you have to always kind of pay attention to everything out in front of you from enough altitude to where you don't miss anything mm -hmm. because missed data could sometimes change context of things. Oh, so I'm, I'm trying to, but when she said it, her intention may have been because of some of the stuff she was hearing in the room, but it did not go over well with people in the room. You could tell that when she apologized, you know, and I'm talking about the black people in the room, there was eye rolling, yeah. people who were checked out, and it was fascinating to see that, but again, there were people who were saying there are not enough white pastors in that room. Somebody said that at the police department's deal. So Cedric and Garrett, who Garrett mm -hmm. said, let me tell you something from the perspective of white people. Right, mm. <laughs> right. And he said, I'm going to tell you what he said. And then he talked about that. He said, I don't hold Alton, uh, Alton up as a hero. He said, in, in, in our community, we don't hold him up as a hero. We're curious about why he was out there selling CDs at 1230. He agrees that the end result is one that none of us should want. But he wasn't saying that to be malicious. He wasn't saying that to denigrate all, uh, Alton, his family, anything like that. He's talking about the perspective from that side. He's making the case that this is why we need to talk. Because right. until I get this other perspective, how many people who live in South Baton Rouge are, are venturing into North Baton Rouge in their regular day unless they're going to work? Because it's not what people do, right? Mm -hmm. Right. There are people who live in, you know, you live in, well, you don't live, I won't, don't, won't say where you live on the podcast, but you mm. live outside of the city limits mm. and you're venturing in that area. Mm. And when you're moving out of there, it's because of business, but it's all for a purpose. Yeah. And so Cedric said, which was fascinating to me, that there are over 300 laws mm -hmm. or pieces of legislation that make it difficult for someone who has spent time in prison to get a job. And, and again, and we um, got to do something about that. Yeah. Again, um, when I, when I heard him say that, I was like, you know, uh, that's I was, right. You were there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And see, that's something I learned. Even though he and I may not agree politically, but he brought something to the table that I really think needs to be addressed. He was trying to he was it, trying to have solutions. Yeah, that needs yeah. to be addressed because if you're coming out of prison, I mean, there you don't have any resources. And granny, we're not talking about murderers. Yeah, we're not talking yeah. about rapists. Yeah. We're not talking about people like that. Nonviolent criminals. No, no, no nonviolent criminals. Yeah. I mean, obviously, if somebody has killed someone, now granted, yeah. that person should probably have an opportunity to be rehabilitated and get a job too. I know that's tough. That's easy to say and tough to make real, but mm -hmm. it's the truth. But there are big categories of people who spend time in prison who are there for nonviolent reasons and come out and can't get a job. Mm -hmm. And so you know, he talked about that. And I think that was was kind of constructive. But in the end, there were still a lot of people talking past one another. Yeah. I, to me, even though you had all of that education in the room, it just seems as if the preachers, ministers that were there had some of the most constructive dialogue because it all went back to the family unit with them. Yeah. And that is something I just, I'm just a firm believer of because like my grandfather always says, you know, be careful of men who don't have God anywhere around their heart. So when you look at that and you apply that to just communities, I mean, that can be applied to police officers. It can be applied to the inner city. Yeah. So it's like you always have to just be careful of that. But 
to me, it just seemed as if they had the best dialogue that I just, that was the main thing I, I got away from that um, conversation. I mean, there was there was some good in the room. I think it's still, there wasn't enough of, of, of both. Like I asked the question just to like, and Steve, you can attest to this. I said, what's the problem? Is Baton Rouge racist? What's the issue between white people and black people? And we put it out there for anybody to address it. Nobody, Nobody took it. it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Think about it. In that room where everybody said, we want to be candid. We don't want this just to be another you know, feel good meeting. I put the, the elephant in the room on the center of the table with a bunch of carving knives yeah. and nobody took a slice. You have to be able to talk about things that are uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's what they said at the beginning. They it's said, we want to do that. But when you gave them the opportunity, they yeah. didn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I don't Let me ask you that you guys, this uh, young black men nowadays are the subject of conversation on every level. There's TV shows, there's legislation, there's news programs about it. And the reality of Alton Sterling Mm -hmm. and Philando Castile and Freddie Gray and, you know, all of the names that we've heard and the context in which whatever happened to them is different depending on where you are and your perspective. But these are the names we know because of the last three years. Trayvon Martin, right? Yeah. When you think about the plight of young black men, and I really want you guys to dig into this one. Take the time you need for it. I mean, we're not in a rush. When you think about the plight of young black men in America in 2016, if you're defining that to someone outside of America, what would you say? That's a weighted question. Yeah, I I mean, it's like... Go get it. It's almost, it's like there's a dark cloud to me. Um, and those names of each one of those victims of, I guess, that died, um, there's a pattern there. Every last one of them, there's an issue with the father not being there. Um, Except Trayvon. Well, his father was there, but he 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 and his mom were separated. separated but he was still very. Him, in, she kicked him out like several times. But he was involved in the and yeah. and and his and his life. Yeah. Um, you know, Mike Brown, I don't know what the story was with and Mike Brown was Ferguson. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know the story. I think he of was it. living with his grandmother uh, okay. at the time. And Freddie Gray was a, was was an adult. He was an a yeah, adult yeah. young man. And Eric Garner was a, was a man in New York. Mm-hmm. He was he was an adult as well. But but go ahead. Yeah. And like I said, many times when that father figure is not there, you learn authority from your father. So to me, it's like if you don't have that, it, it is very hard when that kid leaves out. I mean, the mom can do only what she can. I mean, but look at the success your mother yeah. had with you, though. Yeah. You were in. You were but you. She was and I'm Hitler. Gonna, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm gonna go back to that point too. After after you get. I done. mean, you know, it was a different time. I mean, you, you look at the mom. I mean, my heart went out to mom. This mom, uh, I think it was like last month. She was at work. And someone calls and say, hey, look, I think your sons are breaking into this home. And she rushes from work to go see about her oh, sons. Oh, this is the one who, who yeah. beat the hell out of him. Yeah, right? and yeah. then she was arrested for it. And, yeah. see, and when I look at that, I'm like, hey, man, I could get some money. Because my, my mom would be the one who would be arrested. <laughs> like, now she would still be in jail. I mean, that's you just... Keep, you keep talking about her this way on the podcast. Yeah. You're going to need some help I'm just saying. today. <laughs> go ahead, Brandon. But yeah, Clay, you you mentioned, you know, well, look at the job your mom did with you. 
you know, and that's, I think, the biggest thing that, well, one of the biggest factors that plays a part in shaping who we are. It's like the early developmental years, you know, people who are in your, instrumental in your life. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the, the things that they teach you, the, you know, about the world, you know, just trying to, to open your eyes to other things, you know, trying to make you see that there are other ways to live life than what you see outside your window every day. Yeah. And I think, you know, I was fortunate in that regard because my mother tried to expose me to as much as she could at a young age. Yeah. I think she had me on Hooked on Phonics when I was like one and a half. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I can't even say dad, mom yet, dad or whatever. She <laughs> right. got me on Hooked on Phonics right, trying right. to, you know, she bought me a, a series of encyclopedias at a really really young age i had to be by the way for all the no millennials out there that's the predecessor to google yeah. encyclopedias right yeah. that's right <laughs> you know yeah, so she she did all these things to 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 open my eyes to you know the world and not right. necessarily just outside my door i'm from little rock arkansas yeah. so i mean there's a lot of stuff going on all over the place but you know you have to be open to the fact that there are other ways of life than what you know. You know, there are other ways to go about getting the things you want to get, you know, without getting it the, the fast way. You but know, a lot the of these parents way. have not been exposed to things outside of here. So it's hard to give someone knowledge you don't have. Absolutely. And that's one of the biggest problems. That's another one of the biggest problems. You can't give something that you don't have. Right. And so you again, going back to that, I want to hear what you have to say about about these young men. Uh, DiCarlo, just well, just yeah, just now. What do you think? Same question. Uh, I, I agree with Steve. I think it has a lot to do with uh, the male, uh, the male figure in these kids' lives. It, they're missing, uh, for the most part. Uh, like he said, the woman can only do so much. She can't teach a man how to be a man. No. And so, uh, if that if that father is missing, if he's in jail or if he's in a box, you know, they're missing out. They, they have, who do, who, who do they have to look up to? They're looking at the neighborhood drug dealers, the, the superstars, the, the Kanye West. I think we talked about that last time. Yeah. The uh, uh, athletes, that's all they have to look up to. And so when they see how those people live and the way they got there and they try to emulate that without someone in their life to show them the way it's extremely difficult and so for somebody just trying to figure out their way to be a man that is that is a, a tough uh, job to feel if you don't know the way to, to get there so it's uh, I, I think about the numbers like you look at the numbers that you we hear it all the time the statistics of the 72% of uh, African-American children being born out of wedlock, okay, I mean, let's just say 20% came out good. They had that mom or, mm -hmm. you know, that one single parent or grandmother, grandfather, someone. So that's a huge groundswell of kids who have no direction, I mean, at all. So we're looking at a lot of teen mothers or a lot of single mothers who are going to experience, I mean, like, I think it, the number went up where as far as, like, uh, mental issues, uh, involved in crime, that child turning yeah. around having kids themselves. It's a cycle. Yeah. It's interesting, though, the, 
because I have, a, I have a, another question for y'all that we talked about in that meeting that nobody went after, but we'll talk about it here. I think it's for me just with volunteering off for all the years, 20 plus years of just volunteering. And you know, we, even when I didn't have money to donate, I gave my time and, you know, because you just do what you can. Yeah. Cause these young men are products, as you say, of their environments and Think about it in schools. When I was in elementary school, I can remember the principals, two guys, okay? Mm -hmm. Sid and Joe were their first names, right? I won't say their last names. And they, you know, it was, there was paddling back then. Yeah. And when they walked into a room, the principals, when they just walked in, it was like God yeah. had walked into yeah. the room. Yeah, and everybody was on their best behavior. Mm -hmm. yeah. The way they would talk to us, the way very alpha type A personality. Mm -hmm. And when you got paddled, there was always a lecture before the paddling yeah. about decision making. And I can remember one time being in there <laughs> and uh, we weren't going to get in trouble. But... The assistant principal was in the middle of a lecture and I made the cardinal sin of jumping in on him, you know, just with with my opinion about something after he had warned about that. Mm -hmm. And brother, it did thunder in that room. <laughs> <laughs> and then after it was over, he made a point. But that whole thing about respect. Well, the point of me saying that is that was then this is now you can't. No. You can't put the genie of today back in the bottle. The reality is the reality. So we can't judge 70s, 80s practice or use 70s, 80s practices on 2016 young men. Yeah. Because as a young man, I did have respect for males around me. I did have respect for police officers. I didn't encounter them a whole lot, but... There was the respect was that these kids are different. They grew up in the aftermath of F the police, you know, mm -hmm. that that rap song and all that's on television now and all of the over analyzing of everything. So when police go into a community, they look at the police department as an occupying force. Yeah. Law enforcement officials have to also and I've got, as you know, lots of friends who are in law enforcement. They, too, have to the practices have to take into account the type of young men you're dealing with. And rarely do you run into those who know how to handle an, a, a confrontation without it becoming physical. Yeah. Because in the, in the eyes of a lot of these kids, they're already from it's level one and level 10. There's nothing in the middle. Yeah. Right. We're talking yeah. or we're swinging. Exactly. You're here to oppress people. Yeah. So it's like. Yeah. So, and they're ready to go to 10. They're, they're on one leaning toward right. 10. And it's either we're talking or we're fighting. And all that stuff in the middle that's missed out on, that we didn't do the heavy work on, that's what leads us to a lot of this. But I think that has a lot to do with not knowing. Absolutely. On both sides. Right. So here's a question. Well, any, any response uh, to that? But how, how do you bridge that gap? Because you always hear about, like, retraining police and retraining police. Like, uh, I remember when the president had a, um, an initiative, My Brother's Keeper. We, we, in a, we did it at our church. And we had a big like um, like breakout sessions. Yeah. But one thing that intrigued me was that the kids that really didn't need to be there, 
their parents, I mean, they had those responsible parents. It's really like, did? Really didn't, didn't need, to, need be to be there. there. Okay. Um, it's like, those are the kids that were there. So Ex- the, Explain that. Um, when you go and you look into some of the, the communities where the kids who are really wayward children and are who, the, who are the ones who are getting in trouble, those are the ones where we have to go out and meet them where they are. Not to just judge them in a sense, but you have to make them comfortable. You have to go out there where they are. But a lot of times I think that falls through the cracks because, you know, when, whenever we put something out, we put it on social media and the responsible parents, they're going to look at it and they're going to make sure their child is there. So we had a lot of kids who were from pretty good homes. I mean, it, I mean, it wasn't a thing about income, but for the most part, that parent, which, you know, they made sure that their child was there. But the kids who really need to be there, you know, those are the ones that we have to go out into communities and reach. And see, this is something that I was going to mention earlier. You have to be able to get to engage that kid, though. You mm-hmm. have to be able to to make them hear you mm-hmm. and to, to feel what you're saying as opposed to just talking at them. Yeah. They yeah. have to, because they're not going to, you, you have to find that whatever it is to engage them, because if they're not engaged, they're disconnected. They're not going to take heed to anything you're saying. They're not going to like... Because they don't know. You, yeah. you almost have to be trained in knowing how to even receive information when it's coming to you. And that's going back to the point about police officers. We ask so much of police officers and teachers. We're, we're asking them to do their jobs as keepers of the peace, to be social workers, to be mentors. I mean, we're at, we are asking a lot of law enforcement. Same for teachers. And we're asking this for them on salaries that will never make any of them wealthy. But then again, everybody who becomes a police officer, you go into it eyes wide open, knowing that you're not going to get rich doing it. Yeah. And so, but the dialogues don't happen. Yesterday, a young lady at the at a meeting I went to yesterday morning, at the end, talked about wanting to be in the streets. So that's a big thing. They want permits. They want to take to the streets to protest. They want to block the interstate and talked about how they've had trouble getting permits to do that and how they see other cities. You know, in Atlanta, they did it. And, and then the mayor was like, y'all can't do that anymore yeah. because of the, the disruption it caused. Right. And that's for her. She just she was so passionate about that being a part of the solution to make you hear me, to make you see me. I've got to disrupt your way of life. And I, I'm, I'm sitting right next to her. And she was sincere and fired up and all, all this, all this, I'm about to hit a microphone. Uh, and all this is happening here. And all of this fire is coming out of her. And I'm thinking, man, she is convinced this is not grandstanding for her. This is, this, is, this is coming from her heart. She feels that. Now, can any of y'all relate to that? Because I can't from where she was coming from. Obviously, I'm a lot older, but it's like she, she wasn't, th- there was an honesty about where she was. Even if I don't necessarily agree with what she's wanting to do, she just feels like I'm not being heard. And I do think that's a problem. Yeah. And I, like, again, I think it goes back to earlier what we were all talking about. I mean, when you're coming up and how you learn to conflict, like you got to learn how to resolve conflict without violence. And many times you don't 
kids are not being taught that. I mean, that's one thing we try to do in childcare. We a few years back, we used to be so concerned about our kids learning ABCs, one, two, three. The state stopped, you know, stepped in and said, "Hey, look, we don't want them doing that. We want to know if they can go into a puzzle center, blocks, you know, block center, the library. How do they interact with one another? Yeah, that's what they want them to learn first. Because you cannot teach a child anything if they're going to be disruptive in the classroom. Right. So. The model is to let them learn by play. They want to see how they interact with each other in social settings. And then when they get to pre-K and kindergarten, then they learn the ABCs and 123s. So, but until we go back to that, I mean, I remember uh, I went to a seminar and that's what one, um, one instructor said. Whenever you see like anything on television and, and kids can't, you know, they don't know how to resolve conflict. That's a child that just never learned it early on in life. But how do you learn it from people who don't know how to teach it? Mm. And that isn't everybody. And I'm not making a general judgment of people, mm -hmm. but in most cases, I don't know. And then there is also responsibility on the side of the adult mm -hmm. who knows and who should be able to make an assessment in a school that a kid is coming out of a tough environment. Yeah. And I know people say, well, that's, you know, I just said it's asking a lot, but you, you're dealing with kids. You kind of need to be able to look at them because you can't treat them all the same. Mm -hmm. Because they're different. Yeah. yeah. And for a kid who is hungry, who doesn't who doesn't get supervision, yeah. because to a lot of kids, even though they may rebel against it, they also internalize it as love. Mm -hmm. So you have to find a way to meet these kids where they are. And these young men who you know, he's gonna be 15, uh, 5'10 and 190 pounds of stone cold metal. Yeah. If you don't catch him early enough, he yeah. really can be a problem. Because yeah. they learn how to be menacing very early on in life. Well, I think that that uh, speaks a lot on uh, the mentorships that needs to happen. Um, if if the families are lacking, if there is no f a father figure in their life, it's imperative that they find someone positive that they can look up to, someone who could uh, gear them, rear them in the in the right direction. And it's that's that's the only way that it's going to happen. They they need some direction. They need positive reinforcement. They need to know that somebody cares. They need to know that this person has my best interests at heart, and they're not going to lead me astray. And they're going to show me exactly what it is to be uh, an upstanding citizen and be able to socialize with other people in their community. But the question is, how do you? How do you meet them there? That is the question. That is yeah. the question. And it, it's, it's very tough. I mean, because I, I think it, what makes it even worse is when you have adults in the room, like you said, you, you're listening to this young lady, and no one corrects her and said, you know, maybe, I mean, there's no legislation tied to that. Or like, and like you said before, what's the end game when it comes to that? So. But for her, I think she feels like, I think she feels like the, the grievance as she sees it is not being addressed. I think that is it. Mm. I think she was, she seemed educated. She seemed you know, passionate about her position. And again, in these rooms, if we fill the rooms with people who only see the world the way we see the world, we're never going to fix it. 
So when people are angry that people who say things that they wouldn't say or that they wouldn't go along with are, are in the, it's like, well, well, how do we come? So we either want to fix it or we don't. And I can tell you who she was talking to. She was talking to the U.S. Attorney General. Loretta Lynch was leading that meeting. And she had no hesitation about being very descriptive in her language about what was going on. I respect the fact that she was as honest as she was about her position. So for people who hear me say what she said and you're passionate and you disagree, well, leaders who disagree with her, you got to be in those rooms and you have to kind of talk about this. Now, I want to go back to what we were talking about earlier with solutions and dialogue, because Brandon brought up dialogue and you both were talking about it. The, the, the real dialogue has to be had by the people we elect to enact laws. Those are the people when they sit in a room and they're making policy, they can actually leave the room with something substantive, an idea that becomes legislation. They can mandate or at least change things to a degree that that because all of us sitting in a room like this is helpful. One of the things I wanted to do with this was just let people hear some perspective from four black men who are not angry at the world. But who all have a perspective about what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I guess the big thing for me is 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 paying attention who you elect. Uh, you have all these grievances. You're you're, you're upset. I, you know, I understand it, but it's like again, you're electing people to represent you. And Alton Sterling, that didn't just happen. Like that wasn't just the first shooting. You know, like we get this, we, we've seen things all the time, you know, yeah. like uh, crime and things that we're, we're complaining about in the inner city. Um, these things just didn't happen yesterday. It's like, you know, we're still electing the same people to represent us. So it's like, to me, when I look at it, it's like, you don't really want change. You don't want change because it's like you, you, you're you trying to do, uh, trying to achieve something and it's like, you have to be more proactive, I guess. You have to hold these guys accountable, but there's no accountability. The only piece of, there have been two pieces of legislation that we've talked about as a city and as a, as a district congressionally after the Alton Sterling shooting. One was by Cedric Richmond and Garrett Graves to find a new kind of non-lethal weapon somewhere between tasing and bullets, right? And that really didn't, go over well with people on either side. Mm. Then this residency thing that was at the city council this past week that never made it. And I'm thinking, okay, these are our first two shots. And again, I understand, like, I don't get the res. I'm just going to be honest. I don't get the residency thing at all. They tried but, it in New Orleans and it, it failed. I it, think they it, even tried it, it with It failed EMS. miserably in New Orleans. And, and, my, and the reason I say that, just so I'm clear, is you can't make someone go to the academy and be a police officer. And we, right. we, we forget that when you say this. I don't really care where, because someone doesn't have to live outside of the parish to not have an understanding or a knowledge about what's happening in the inner city of Baton Rouge. Doesn't really matter. There are people who live within three miles of Scotlandville who rarely ever go through there. But the same could be said for someone in Scotland who doesn't come through southeast Baton Rouge. I just want us to fix this with something real and not throwing haymakers at one another. So here's that other question. Do y'all think Baton Rouge is a racist town? Because I've been hearing that a lot in some of these meetings. Yeah, there's definitely a divide. 
But there are divides in lots of towns. Pretty very much true. every town where there's a pretty good percentage of different races. Very true, but it's almost because you think about North and South Baton Rouge, right? Like you said, people who are in one area don't necessarily go to the other area because they just don't they don't have to. There's no right. need for them to do that. And so I don't think that people can truly understand unless you're immersed in that environment. So you don't really know what's going on unless you, you go see for yourself. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know that people want to do that. And so that is kind of a problem. But does that make someone a racist if they say, I go to work every day to make a living to feed my family. I go home, I go to the grocery store, and none of what I do in my life has to take me over there. Why is my why is it my responsibility to go over there? Does that make someone a racist if they feel that no, way? Because I, I can guarantee you there are people of all colors who think it think that way. Yeah, I mean, it's just like I, one thing I noticed, and I remember this was pointed out, and I was like, you know, that is really true. It's just like when I drive up at home, for the most part, when I see my neighbors, I'm just waving, letting the garage door up, I'm going in, letting it down, I'm just inside my home. So I only really know really what's going on inside of my house. I mean, mm-hmm. besides if I take my kids to the uh, little pavilion, uh, to get into the pool, we might see some neighbors there. But other than that, there's not a lot of interaction besides just if you walk outside and you're cutting your grass, hey, how you doing? So I think society has changed in a sense, whereas we're pretty much kind of like most people kind of just kind of stick to themselves. So you you interact with people like when you go to restaurants, bars, you know, things around Baton Rouge. But I just never encountered um I guess that racism that, that people speak to. I, I think, like, again, I think the people here are different. Mm-hmm. I mean, to say that racism doesn't happen and maybe some system or whatever, I mean, yeah. It does happen. No one yeah. can lie and say racism doesn't yeah. exist. Absolutely right. Yeah, but for the most part, I mean, I guess just most places that I go, um, yeah. I'm just comfortable around You never think everybody. about it. Yeah, I'm comfortable around anybody. What do you say? I've never experienced it here. But I do believe that there is racism in Baton Rouge. Okay. And I say that because of several accounts that I've seen uh, myself and uh, through the media. Um, Explain. There was uh, one incident uh, of a police officer in the North Baton Rouge area. I believe Scotlandville it was. uh, That was patrolling he his area was uh either the southern university area or right outside of it but he made comments uh to uh, one of his friends through text messages about uh, him not liking the black race and so he went to the the way it was worded was that he he went to work uh every day trying to find somebody to arrest in that area a black man and so I, from those things up until uh, being in the South Baton Rouge area, uh, being uh, around uh, certain areas um, around LSU, you hear uh, the black community not wanting to step outside of their South Baton Rouge area because of 
how they feel they they're going to be profiled or uh, prejudged. We, we explain that. So you said blacks so, in Southeast Baton Rouge. Yes. Uh, well. Or you said out around LSU. Yeah. Old the, South Baton Rouge. Okay. Yeah. yeah. They don't want to step out. You, you're talking about like Eddie Robinson, Thomas Del yeah. those areas. They don't yeah. want to leave leave there because of how they're going to be treated by the LSU community okay. or uh, the people right outside of the LSU community. See that that kind of thinking does exist inside and within silos in communities. I think there are cultural differences that we sometimes categorize as racial differences. You're right. Race again. You be intellectually dishonest if you say yeah. there is no racism. I've got friends of mine who currently work with law enforcement who say, yeah, there's a per- percentage of it there. And when you find it, you have to do something about it, but it does exist. But some of that's not going to change because that's about the person's heart. Well, exactly. But it, it will not change unless there is a change of heart, just like you said. And we expose and, it. Yeah, Cause we should exactly. expose it because look at the way people are reacting to David Duke running for Senate. Yeah. I mean, he's getting crushed everywhere mm-hmm. because people are saying, dude, you no longer represent who we want to be as a state. Yeah. Especially at this time in, in Baton Rouge and Louisiana. Period, right. You know. And so the, the, but the racial part of this is interesting because I have heard people say, let them all kill one another when there's crime in the inner city. I heard someone say before, like, just put, build a wall around them. I've heard that. And so when people say things like that, there is an inherent racism about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, having said that, you also have to take responsibility in inner city communities for black men killing black men, yeah. black men beating the hell out of young black women, uh, you know, black men. You have to take responsibility for that. And you, you can't talk about one without talking about the other. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's one of those things, man. It's, it's heavy, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's heavy, but it, it's so heavy because, you know, oftentimes people don't look at themselves. They always... Looking at everybody else. Exactly. And, right. you know, everyone is with fault. Yep. You All, know, everyone. Every is. single person. Yep. So you can't look at one, one side of the coin and say, well, you know, this is going on on this side of the coin and we don't like that. We don't like... But what about what's going on on the other side of the Absolutely. coin? Absolutely. So, I mean, you can't talk about one without talking about the other. We don't. I, I, you, what you very well said, you, have, you can't fix it until you take both sides into account. Yeah. And, I, and I told a friend of mine, I said, you know, in some of these inner city communities, you, when people say we have to fix it and get people out of it. I said, you do realize that there are people who live in some of these black communities in Baton Rouge who don't want to live anywhere else. Mm-hmm. They want to live anywhere else. Their parents' church is right there. They live three houses down from where their mother and father or their mother lived. They don't want to move anywhere else. They want to be where they are. Now, there is another side of this where their kids who may want to get out, those are the ones you give an opportunity to get out if they want to get out. But there is almost a resentment from people when they hear discussion about certain neighborhoods 
and they make it. Well, I want to live here, and I mean, you be again. If you volunteer, you go sit with people, you listen to them, you gain perspective, and I'm, I I enjoy doing that because you never know what you're going to learn until you shut up. Yeah. And so, in some of these room, people talk. It's like when they're talking about where they, you hear it in New Orleans for sure. You go to New Orleans in some of these communities, you don't go in there and just telling them about what you're going to do to fix where they are and get them out of there. They'll kick you the hell out of there real fast. Well, see, that goes back to what you were talking about earlier. How do you, I mean, we, we always talk about having this discussion about North Baton Rouge, but if South Baton Rouge officials go to North Baton Rouge and start saying, hey, look, maybe you should, guys should do it. They'll run way. them out of there. Yeah, so that's the problem. Right. I mean, so those representatives who represent that area, because I remember, uh, I think it was Delgado, talked about an initiative up there in North Baton Rouge and a lot of people were like okay well he wasn't being genuine wasn't there so, an article that was titled the great white hope or something uh, about John Delgado I don't, uh, know. I don't know if I read that one <laughs> <laughs> well it's just interesting man and you know we'll I think we can do more of these because we we only scratched the surface of just a few things I mean we'll do we'll, we'll convene the round table and uh, we're drinking coffee just in case anybody's wondering. That's that's the only thing in the room. I guess if uh, if I had to wrap it up with something, it would be this, or with with this question for y'all. If you had the opportunity to create the the potential for a solution or to give a platform to the solution, right? You either you fix it. Or you creating an apparatus where it can be fixed? How would you do that? What would that look like? And again, we're not talking overnight because these things didn't happen overnight. Some of these problems are have been generations in the making. And it's arrogant of us to think that in one conversation, not just in this room, but in any room, that we're going to sit down and fix it. And we walk out, we can go, you know, webbing our hands together going, well, what's next? So what about that? It's so complex because the root of everything, I mean, it's going to have to start with rebuilding families. I mean, there's no, to me, there's like, just, there's no other way because if you don't have any type of foundation, no one is teaching you anything. It's like the first time that they're going to learn something or they're going to learn authority is in front of an officer or someone. And so it's like, now we that's a shame. That. We have to fix the family because if we're not fixing the family, man, we're just spinning our wheels. I think the the solution has already been set. I think uh, last week, I believe it was Jeff Leduff was on, on yeah yeah on yeah, TV sure. given given the solution. I yeah. think the relationship is the the problem. If let's just say for fun. Everybody in Baton Rouge went to the other side of town and met somebody they didn't know. Oh, go ahead. If 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 they can set that relationship, there wouldn't be this fear. If you know the person on the other side and you know their background and you 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 understand where they came from and where they're trying to go, there wouldn't be this fear. No question about it. All you have to, I mean, black, white. Uh, community, police officers, it, it shouldn't matter who it is, man. Just go find somebody, love on them, hug right. them, mm-hmm. find out, you know, how can I help you? I try to make sure my kids, especially my sons, have that perspective. I, I think it's dangerous to get so quote unquote successful that you forget about people that are hurting. Yeah. And many people, not everybody who's hurting is hurting because they 
mismanaged their money or they have a drug problem or they're a criminal. Some people are hurting because they really sincerely lack the ability to know the roadmap out of their situation. That's real life. Mm -hmm. And you cannot say you're some Christian or religious person if you can't put yourself in the other person's perspective to go to these neighborhoods. Like I know the roads in these Mm -hmm. parts of town because I've been there and I still try to because I grew up around people, my grandmother especially, who was aggressive about helping people. It's just what she, she spent countless mornings weekends serving at someone's funeral or going to some community function or people come in and she raffle tickets. She never sold them. She just bought books of them and they were drawers with them because she believed in helping people. And so what you said is spot on and we've got to have the balls to go to other parts of town and be able to meet people and not feel like, Oh my God, somebody's going to scratch my Mercedes if I park over here, whatever. We can't fix it until we show that kind of courage. I'm not that person who really like, want to do all the talking. I want to go out into the community and, and let my deeds speak for themselves. Yeah. Um, I think that's one of the reasons why I have this passion for like mentoring young boys with, you know, coaching football. I love doing it. I love being around them because I know football kept me out of a lot of trouble because my mom knew where I was every Sports day. period. Yeah. I mean, my mom always knew where I was. Go ahead. But yeah, the thing that I really think would help is kind of what DeCarlo was speaking on earlier, but I think we should just have a, a program called Adopt a Person or Adopt a Family. <laughs> yeah. Just, you know, go find someone or invite someone into your home who, who you know, and that's going to take some time. You're not just going to go invite. Yeah. But there are people who do it. Well, I mean, I get that, but I'm saying, you know. That's, you would do it. I'd be, I'd be cautious well, about what, it. What I mean by that is you're not going to just go pick somebody up off the street and say, hey, let's go buy the house. I mean, there are circumstances where you have done programs or had people. Oh, absolutely. That's what I mean. Absolutely. And so, I mean, all those things were very important, very instrumental in fixing the problem. But also, you know, you've got to be willing to go a little bit further into it. you got to be... Step you know, out of your comfort zone. Yeah. Step out of your comfort zone. Get people to come and, and, and see how you yeah. live. Yeah. Or, or go to where they are. See okay. where they live. See see everything about like what they're doing. You know, I mentioned earlier, perception is your reality, right? So, you know, we got to change people's perceptions, man. The only way to change a perception... Is for someone to to really realize, right? Like, wow, like there, okay. there is something else. There, okay, you know, there's but, another way. But let's deal with this elephant in the room as it relates to that. Okay, okay. You get judged if people see how you live and you've had any modicum of success that you've you've done something well enough to live in a certain neighborhood, drive mm-hmm. a certain car. Mm-hmm. You know, you get judged and you get talked about, and so you got to mm-hmm. be willing to. Tell oh, them the dirty parts. You, you, you got to be willing to overcome that, too. You got to be willing to, if you're the yeah. person who's made it out and you've done well for yourself, you've got to have thick enough skin to know people are going to say, and this is the truth, because I've been a victim. You have to have the thick enough skin to not let that discourage you from still helping people, yeah. because that does indeed happen. Oh, absolutely. You get people who, who look like you, who 
we're like, well, what? You know, who does that? Who, yeah. who do they think they are? Yeah. Like, come yeah. on, man, that's not what it's that's like, not what we're man. talking about. We're talking about. I have been there, yeah. and it, and I, and I have had to fight the urge over the years to just say, well, screw you. I'm going to yeah. stay over here in my neighborhood and do what I. But you just, and I'm just being honest. You can't let that happen. And I just kind of give myself kind of a mental slap to say, come on, man. It's like if that one person is enough to stop you from trying to be helpful to people mm -hmm. that you can probably help, then shame on you. Yeah. Right. But I have to tell myself that often because sometimes people judge you and they don't realize, man, you know how many hours of work, yeah. sacrifices, all the yeah. time it took to do this? This didn't happen overnight. Yeah. It just doesn't. Mm -hmm. I want to help. But a buddy of mine, Art Moore, who, who played pro football, uh, Art has a nonprofit here, he and Gail, his wife. And Art tells a story one time about how he goes and he's in. He's got an SUV, all tricked out. I don't know if it was a Navigator or something. And he had a bunch of boys he was mentoring with. You know, Art's a great big old guy, six seven, and just you know, big booming Bose sound system voice. I love the guy. And he said, when he walked out, the boys followed him out. He said they were all in his sunroof and and all around his car. And he was so tickled by that because it's the closest they had ever been to a yeah. car that nice. And I do think you have to share that. My neighbors have a group home. My neighbors are white. Mm -hmm. All these boys are black. And they're always all over the house, their house. And we've been over there with them for cookouts. And you, you guys, you've seen some of those boys over there. Right. And it's, you guys have, man, what y'all are saying, I've not heard anybody else really say. The way DiCarlo worded it, get in your car, drive to the other side of town. Mm -hmm. And if you've never done it, you would be surprised. You know, there are restaurants in North Baton Rouge you can go eat at, you know. Yeah, right. Yeah, you know, they, they don't. They may not have Chile and sea bass on the menu, <laughs> but they'll cook the hell out of some red beans and rice. Well, they're a couple in bacon. And, yeah, it's just like good fried catfish. Good. Oh, don't start me now. <laughs> yeah, but but all in all seriousness, man, you you've got to be able to change people's perception, man, and the way you do that is is by engaging them. Yeah, and I mean you've got to you've got to show them the dirty parts. You've yeah. got to you know don't just share your, your successes. Sure. Don't just let that speak for sure. you. You know, tell them the dirty parts. Tell them, hey man, you know, it's not quite like this. You you gotta put in work. Yeah. You know, it, this didn't happen overnight. And there's a responsibility to maintain any level of success. It ain't just getting there, it's staying yeah, there. Absolutely. Which That's is the which hardest is, part. That is the hardest part. Yeah. But it's, it's I think, I love that we can go on another hour and, and we're gonna, we'll do another one of these because I think it's, it's important. But What's what's your biggest takeaway? When we talked about solutions and you guys, I love what y'all are saying, but your biggest disappointment, maybe is a better word, about what the last three weeks have been uh, in, in Baton Rouge and the way the dialogue has happened about our city and other places. My, my biggest, biggest disappointment would be the um, some of the elected officials, um, also some of the so-called... Facebook reporters who kind of oh, get boy. out there and it's like we're, we're tr like the, the young kids who really didn't experience the movement and what it was about it was biblically based I mean they were they were like it was nonviolence and you mean here well just back in the 60s oh sure but and there were a lot of peaceful protests because those that were on te television I was able to watch and I mean it's like you feel but most of the kids here were peaceful. Yeah. Most of the vast majority of them were like some of the ones that they would have, like I think it was on Foster. Yeah. Night. yeah. I mean, it was just a lot of 
drinking and you know partying like like oh, yeah. a party like atmosphere. And I'm like yeah. you know guys, this is where this guy. So was. not a part of the movement. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the, the guy, a guy died here the other night. You know, and it was just kind of like it really upset me because. And I look at some of the elected officials who they, they, they throw these firebombs out there and then they go to the mountain, just watch everything on fire. And yeah. it's like, you know, you have a part in this. I mean, you got to be mindful of what you're saying and what you put on Facebook uh, because younger kids see this and it's like, OK, well, they're going to be those foot soldiers that go out there and do it. Yeah. And, and that that really just disturbed me a lot. Facebook, social media, that's a whole, that's a topic for another 50 hours. You know, just, you got, hey, amen. Almost like you said, Facebook reporters or, or people who, who come around just to stir the pot. Like, yeah. go somewhere else. Take yeah. that BS mm-hmm. somewhere else, man. Don't don't come here with that. Yeah. We're, we're trying to rebuild. We're trying to heal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you, we can't do that if if you're coming around just to stir the pot. Oh, there's my opportunity, and you just yeah. typing away on the keyboard, just going at it. And it's just like you you cannot. That's not a part of the solution. You know, you are uh, you're uh, multiplying the problem exponentially, and so it's like as opposed to you doing that, you know. Go do something else. You know, yeah. go eat an ice cream cone or something. Read them. Just go do something <laughs> like else. Like I said, you know, I, I was that kid. You're like that. wasting your time. You're wasting everyone's time, and you're you're making a problem worse. And so I don't. I have absolutely no time for those types of people, man. Yeah, I, I mean, it's just like I was saying earlier. Like I was that Mr. Rogers kid. Mr. Rogers has a quote. Like it, I mean, I love the quote because it's like he talks about like whenever you see chaos and problems in the world, he said always look for the people who are helping. And I think that is mm. just phenomenal to, to have that mindset you know be that one who's going to go out there and help the situation don't be that person if someone is down and you're, you're like you're ready to like pounce and and talk about that person be that person that's going to pray for them who want to at least help i mean because if you're just throwing out lip service and just trying to fuel the flames man it, it just like i said man I, I love facebook i love social media but man for like about two week period i was just off because i was just my stomach would turn when I read some of the stuff uh, that people would post on Facebook, you know, and it was all like, like talking about like rioting and having race wars. I'm like, are you serious? Like, well, that that was easy for a lot of folks to say until the reality of what that looks like yeah. happened here with those shootings. Exactly. It, it, a lot of the rhetoric got yeah. toned down after then. And that's important. Sandra Sterling sat in that chair and talked about not wanting violence here. Yeah. Mm. She was extremely impressive. Yeah. And she doesn't want any of that. She doesn't she didn't want to see this happen. Now this was before these officers were shot. Right. And that's been a big part of this and you're right about the social media. What do you say to Carlo biggest uh, disappointment? <laughs> oh man, okay, this is probably going to step on somebody's toes. But uh, he's not, I'm running, gonna, I'm he's not say, running for office. So. I'm not running for office. No, I'm not. My biggest disappointment was the elected officials also. But I think it had a lot to do with the leadership in this city. For the longest time, there was the running joke of where's Kip? Mm. I think the culmination of his 12 years was Alton Sterling. 
for him not to be here, for him not to show his face, for him not to show the people of his fair city that he cares, that he's here for them, he's representing them at the, at the time where they needed him the most. It was very disappointing. And then for him to come back after it was all said and done and to say in so many words, I don't need to explain to you where, I'm, where I've been or what I've been doing. I'm going to continue doing my job. I think that was a, a shot in the back for Baton Rouge. That was so disappointing for them to elect this guy for so long to be their leader and for him at the time when they needed him the most to not be there for them. That was the disappointment. That was the disappointment. And man, he's hearing it from a lots of from lots of corners and we've got all these candidates now because qualifying is coming gone and we'll see what the candidates for mayor yeah. uh, are gonna say about it. But this was great. I hope you guys enjoyed this as much as I did, just kind of oh, having the conversation. And I apologize for y'all listening for the audio issues. That's really not happened in 70-some-odd shows that we've done, but I don't care. I'm going to leave it in there. It's just one of those things. That's how you know it's real. It's all good. Well, gentlemen, thank y'all so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. Pleasure. Time, man. All right, back to wrap up in just a moment. Podcasts have become a great way to get radio on demand. If you've wanted your own podcast, the time to call us is now. This year, Podcast 225 will be launching new shows and yours can be one of them. You won't have to build your own website and you'll be able to use professional broadcast equipment that will make your show sound amazing. If you'd like to know more, call 225-214-1550. That's 225-214-1550. Be a part of the on-demand audio movement today. This is the Clay Young Show on Podcast225.com. I hope you enjoyed that. As I said to you before we got started, it's the first of three discussions, and it was candid, and we put it right out there. And hopefully, uh, you guys got perspective from it, some of which you may agree with, some you may disagree with, but it was, it was important to just have the conversation. All right, we appreciate you guys listening. Again, hit the subscribe button at iTunes. You can download the Talk 107.3 mobile app. Uh, Maybe one day in the very near future, there will be a Podcast 225 app. Maybe sooner than you think. Uh, We appreciate, as always, you guys being with us. And until the next time, our discussion with David Tatman, which will happen later this week, we thank you for listening to The Clay Young Show here on Podcast225.com. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another edition of The Clay Young Show.